podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A big thanks to our sponsor for this episode, NordVPN. As someone who lives outside of Australia but likes to keep up with local sport, TV shows and news, NordVPN is my connection to what's going on back in Oz. And it's also my connection for F1 replays, particularly useful for those races which, for anyone outside of the UK, means getting up or staying up to a truly unreasonable hour. Or when Tommy T doesn't write back to messages and someone has to do some quick homework and jump on the podcast. But no matter where you are in the world, NordVPN can keep you safe online. Even if those sneaky snoops would only have learned that Campy holds the longest continuous streaming record of Real Housewives of Dallas. Head to nordvpn.com forward slash lakeside drive or click in the link in our show notes for an exclusive deal just for our podcast listeners, including free months and, of course, that 30-day money-back guarantee. Alrighty, thank you for joining us here on Lakeside Drive. I'm going to let you introduce yourselves um, and tell us a bit about yourself in a minute. But just for the reference, for reference, for everyone who's listening from wherever in the world, we are currently in New York, which is a long way from Lakeside Drive itself. <laughs> um, but how about each of you just introduce yourself to start off with um, where you're from and how you got into Formula One. Sounds great. Um, I'll start. And I think this is going to be fun because Chessa and I, I'm Tiggy, uh, have very different origin stories in the sport. So we have two different angles here. Um, But I'm Tiggy, uh, originally from California, San Francisco, but kind of grew up all over the world. And my origin story with F1 is probably similar to a lot of American fans. Um, During COVID, when I had a lot more time to kind of discover interests and hobbies and life slowed down, I found Drive to Survive, (laughs) as one does in America during that time. Um, And so that was sort of my entry point and my funnel into the sport. But I would say from there, it just sort of opened this massive gateway. And I think for me personally, I was an engineer in college and I actually studied um, a lot around transportation. Um, And I wrote a thesis around electric autonomous vehicle technology. And so kind of getting into the sport, learning the basics, learning the drivers and the personalities through Drive to Survive, I was like, wait, there's actually this whole other world academically and professionally that is super interesting to me. And so everything from the data analysis and the technology to then thinking about sustainability and the environment, which is sort of why I was into transportation in the first place. And I now work uh, in the realm of climate. I was like, there's actually so much in F1 that sort of bleeds into or trickles down into the automotive industry, into, you know, prospects and opportunities for the environment as a whole. And I was like, this is a beautiful fusion of academic, professional, and just like personal entertainment yep, interests. Absolutely. And so I think it's just a story of how Drive to Survive is a good entry point, but there are so many different directions you can take fandom and interest in the sport from yep. there. So Totally. And Chessa? Hi, I'm Chessa. Um, So I was a little bit different where I also grew up abroad. Uh, I was born in Mexico, but my dad's Italian. So as you can guess, he probably, he grew up very into Formula One, very into Ferrari, all of that. So I remember my, I know, we're, we're agnostic now because I have the podcast. He's very down to listen to our opinions and it's not Mm. always going just for Ferrari, but I remember growing up 
all, like I was growing up in Scotland at the time in Mexico back, even here in the States. And at all hours of the day, if there was a race, it was like my dad screaming all the time. So <laughs> like, well, like whenever things were happening, I guess with Ferrari. Um, but through that, I like fell in love with the sport, mostly loved hanging out with him. And then as Tiggy got more into F1 with Drive to Survive and our co-host Sarah got really into it with Drive to Survive, it was a beautiful thing. And we all just started talking about it. And there was so much to talk about. And all of our friends started watching Drive to Survive and they were talking about it. And so I think to me, it feels like when we started this podcast, it evolved from us texting about it in a group chat about F1 to us like sending voice memos to each other after each of the races to <laughs> one of you two being like, okay, let's just record let's, it. Yeah, record, record it. Uh, so we ordered our mics on Amazon and then we started. It was very like, pull yourself up and let's just do it. Yeah. And Tiggy, did you, as someone who came into the sport a little bit later, you know, and it is a very, look, those two stories that you've just shared are very much aligned with kind of what we see in Australia. You know, there's tends to be one of two stories. A, yeah. I watched it with my dad growing up and I've <laughs> fallen in and out of love with it over the years and I'm back in love with it. Or B, um, post-drive to survive. And, of course, there's a world of kind of grey in the middle as to when I'm kind of in the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we know there's more nuance to it, that, but there does tend to be a very kind of common experience, I suppose, both of both of those. You had Ferrari as a background. Tiggy, did you <laughs> kind of – did you align yourself with a driver or a team? That's a great question. <laughs> and how – Chess is laughing. <laughs> Um, I am a huge Mercedes fan, kind of, by the way, of a bunch of different things. One, Lewis Hamilton. He yep. was sort of my first entryway into, like, the celebrity of Formula One because okay. he's definitely the most famous driver and most well-known, I think, outside even the sport. Yeah. Um, so I, I love Lewis, and I love everything that he advocates for and he does outside of the sport and inside the sport in terms of inclusion, sustainability, diversity, all of that. So that spoke to me a lot. And then just Mercedes as a brand and as a team and as a whole, I mentioned my love of sustainability. They are hugely focused on that and kind of are pioneering a lot in that space in the sport. And so all of that, plus just the personality and the success over the years, I think really made me align with Mercedes pretty early on. It's been yep. a harder past couple of years, <laughs> <Yeah>. but... <laughs> Because you stuck with it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I like to think I'm not a bandwagoner. <laughs> I'm, you know, not a Fairweather fan. Um, but it's a really interesting question, I think, especially from an American perspective, because in American sports, it's like, okay, you're a fan of this team or this athlete because you're right. a home, they're hometown heroes or whatever. Yep. And fans coming in from Drive to Survive or it being a newer sport in America – it's like you kind of align with teams that share your values or personalities you really love to follow, which is kind of different, I think, mm. than a lot of American mm-hmm. sports. So yep. it presents an interesting angle for sure. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much to think about when it comes to Americans picking their driver or their team. Because one thing that I think is like truly very American is like this reality TV mindset okay. where – People in America love reality TV. People, I mean, people all over the world love reality TV, but you you follow reality TV and you get very, very attracted to the personality. So I think mm. Drive to Survive was that reason that people got so into it. Ipso facto, people loved Danny Ricardo because he yeah. was like the character that came out like winning. He was so charismatic, all of that. So people really got that sort of like real reality TV vibe from him. And we saw that firsthand. We were... 
<laughs> we were having brunch last week next to Danny Ricardo and a girl <laughs> like ran and was like screaming, crying, fainting, like short of throwing oh, up. No like, way. Sque- like the kind of starstruck that you would get from like not even a reality star. Like George like Clooney. Weird, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was unbelievable. But I think that's how people are coming out winning as yeah. characters. Interesting. And I think that's a big reason why people are such big McLaren fans. I know when Drive to Survive started, Danny was not at McLaren. He was at Mm. Red Bull. But I think the Americans absolutely love McLaren because he's kind of followed, you know, that McLaren path. And they've done a really good job with fandom in the States. And it's it's really interesting to see. (laughs) I do find the the kind of location-based support an interesting one because we – you do have that to an extent in Australia with Australian sports, but it is a bit different because it's a bit more, it's just more dispersed. Yeah. Like, you know, if you if you go for, like if you watch rugby and you live in Queensland, you go for Queensland. And you'll have yeah. more, like there's more specifics within state leagues and things like that, but it's, it's not as um, bone deep as it is in the yeah. US. <laughs> so how do you guys pick your F1 drivers and teams? So I think a lot of – it depends on what your story is, I think. Okay. Um, origin story. So exactly what you guys have both just described to me. For people who tended to watch from a younger age, they are more likely to have, well, my dad went for, Got it. you know, um, and, it, and it might even be – so it might, might be my dad went for a Ferrari and now I've kind of inherited that flag, like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but it might also be that they, they really supported certain – personalities so whether it was Schumacher and now they're really backing Mick so it might be more it it can be like a handing over of the flag from a because you do have those kind of lineages Mm -hmm. in in F1 and you do obviously in other sports as well and then for people who came into it a bit later and my general observation is that it tends to be driver specific they're following a driver as opposed to a team um, which again is very different for sport, right? Totally. Like it's something that's very unique to yeah, it's so interesting. to F1. And I feel like F1 has such a pedigree and some of the, like Mercedes has such a pedigree. Like even Williams, who obviously hasn't been doing that great, but they have such a pedigree and that is where you see it happening. And I'm excited to see how once American fans pick their drivers, I mean, it's only been what, like three years of this massive fandom. Mm. Let's see if they stick with the driver, stick with the team. I want to see how these pedigrees stack up here. I think there's also this phenomenon, too, of people not necessarily even being super loyal to one driver, to one team. And I think that's super exciting because it's such an intimate sport with 10 teams, 20 drivers. I feel like a lot of people, especially newer fans, feel like they can root for everyone to a certain degree. And people have favorites and, you know, they definitely... They, they stack up in certain ways, but I do think people just kind of root for the entertainment. They just want a good race. Exactly. It's, it's actually, it's really interesting point. It's interesting you bring that up. I was having this conversation with my cousin actually back in Australia and he's not super into it. I think now that I talk more about it, literally, <laughs> he's starting to take an interest. But he said to me, he's like, now that DR is not um, on the grid, like where do you find your joy in the sport? Because it used to be through, you know, really getting behind his performances in the same way that you do with a team that you support in another another sport. It's like, so now what are you looking for? I was like, I just want a great race. I was exactly. like, yes, you've still got your favourites, sure. Like there's drivers who I feel more about than others <laughs> in a positive <laughs> way. Um, but it is, and it, but it's quite unique in that way in comparison to other sports where you'd be quite happy if your team absolutely 
dominates another one. Yeah, if Whereas I was a Max like, fan now, I'd be so bored. Yeah, and well, everyone the, is. <laughs> the, the pressure is on for a good race weekend. We were talking to Missed Apex about this. And I think as like, mm. we are hardcore F1 fans. Like we kind of like work in the sport to a certain degree, right? Like yep. the pressure's on for us. Like if we have our adjacent fans or friends who like kind of watch it and they're like, oh, it was so boring this weekend. I feel like I have to defend. <laughs> yeah. Defend yeah. I will say that, and that, that conversation has actually been happening on our Discord all of this week and last wow. week. And it's actually, yeah, the fact that you bring that up is quite interesting because it is it is exactly the observation that a lot of our listeners are having. And there's some who are saying, you know, this is just the natural, you know, ebb and flow of, of F1. You will have dominant years with some yeah. teams and then you'll have years where not much happens and it'll be really interesting. And I think this is the... It's maybe said with a critical lens. It's the will the drive to survive fans stick through the less exciting yes. season. <laughs> what do you think, Tiggy? That's a really good question. I think uh, I can speak maybe more from an American lens yeah. than I can more broadly, but it's been really interesting to watch the American strategy of getting a lot of these drive to survive fans kind of more into the sport and the way that Liberty Media and F1 is sort of marketing the newer American events like Miami, like Las Vegas are kind of more geared towards these like big, splashy celebrity, more reality TV-esque like blowouts that aren't super accessible to the average fan. Like you Mm. can watch it as a spectacle, but I'm really curious longer term how that gets fans into watching the sport regularly beyond just kind of the spectacle of it. And yeah. I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. And part of it is a marketing strategy. And I think part of it is the entertainment of, are we having good racing? But the people sat through the Mercedes years and (laughs) we're here now. The regulations are changing in 2026. I think that will be a big shakeup. So I do think people will stick through, but I think a lot of it depends on marketing and how you kind of reach fans who aren't the super wealthy. I can show up to Miami or Las Vegas and... Yeah, so let's talk about Formula 1 in the US, generally speaking, because as I said, it's a conversation that is happening everywhere, but very rarely actually do we often able, are we able to go and get kind of a, an American perspective on it. So it's been a pretty hot topic basically since the first Miami race was announced. Yeah. It was kind of that that perspective of, I can see what you're doing here. <laughs> I see what not, you're doing. <laughs> um, what have your observations been locally when it comes to, I suppose, the new focus on the sport in the country? And I suppose, where have you seen the, the biggest shift? Um, is it in the advertising that you're seeing around the place? Is it in trying to get people to go to, to events? Like, what have your local observations been? I think the way that the race weekend is being sold to the the DTS American new fan is it's a lot. It's overbearing. I'm not trying to be overly critical because I think it works. Like I think this sort of very showy reality TV type celebrity studied event, that is where it's going right now. But like like Tiggy said, it's almost they're trying to draw this like really celebrity status thing to it so that it feels almost slightly too unattainable for the reason of like keeping people watching and I think that's the only way people are going to watch it on TV right because we know that not everyone's going to go to the races so then the strategy has become okay how are we going to get people 
watching every Sunday morning or night or whatever the time is going to be here because that's another huge barrier too. Like, are you going? Is the average Drive to Survive American going to wake up at 2 a.m. and watch the race, 7 a.m. on a Sunday and watch the race? Probably not. So I think it has to be doing things like they did at Canada with like Will Arnett and Daniel Ricardo. We all have different thoughts on that, but <laughs> I look forward to hearing them. <laughs> Lots of random things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny to me, I feel like Austin actually does a really good job of involving like the local community and really making it kind of about the racing. And of course you have like Daniel Ricardo coming in on a horse and like things like that, which are super fun. But Austin's the only one that Chessa and I have actually been to in person, but we, I've really felt like we were racing fans there and we were amongst yeah, racing okay. fans. And it was before we had the podcast. It was before we had the podcast and we didn't know as much about the, the sport at all. And I just wonder with Miami and Vegas, if they're aiming more for kind of like a Monaco-esque vibe where it's like really about the glam and the glitz and maybe less about the racing and maybe you need some of those. I just wonder longer term how that fares because Monaco is still debated all the time, but because it has such a history, it's kind of no question that it deserves a place. But like with Vegas and Miami, there isn't that history. So at one point does like the sport really need to be at the forefront. How do you think they've got the balance at the moment? Because as you've already mentioned, the focus on the U S market hasn't been in met entirely positively. There are a lot of criticisms around it in terms of saying it's subtracting from the traditional elements of, racing and it's making it far less accessible um it's pricing out you know the person who does wake up at seven o'clock on yeah. in the morning and watch or whatever or have a, it's a little bit more palatable over here in comparison to Australia <laughs> yeah. um how do you think the balance sits at the moment with yeah in introducing the new way of doing things and in a way the American way of doing things and trying to get a new audience on board the American way is such a funny way to put it because <laughs> I think that's what people are going for. That's what people think of overseas. And like when the drivers came out in the in the football jerseys, like, is that really the American way? Like, I don't know. Mm. But I think if you take Vegas out of the equation, it hasn't happened yet. Um, Miami and Austin, I think, was drawing a very nice balance. I mean, Miami is I, like for between last year and this year, it seemed like a little bit more over the top this year. But that's just the nature of how things go. Vegas is going to throw it wildly off balance. But I think... I think what they're trying to do is like have Vegas be the crown jewel of this like three trifecta race and it's definitely going to skew the balance. I'm very eager to see how Vegas goes. And what I'm hoping for is that both of these Miami and Vegas races are so new. Part of it is just supply and demand dynamics and like everybody wants to go to these first races. There's so much going into it and the hype is insane. I'm hoping after, you know, at least two, three, five years that that does Die down is the wrong phrase, but it allows, you know, the people who are waking up at 7 a.m., the more, I hate the word average, but the quote-unquote average fan to actually access these events. And maybe we just have to kind of excitingly suffer through the, like, first few years. Well, that's it. I think they do do find a rhythm after a while, right? Like, we see that with other races too. Like, it's not the only one. It's, It's a bit different, I think, just because of the way of going about it. But it's not the only place that has will need to find a rhythm in the way that other locations have. Um, your listeners, I imagine, are predominantly US-based? Yeah, I would say for the most part they're kind of yeah. all over but mostly in the US. What are you What are you learning about the US fan base from your listeners? It's been so amazing to watch. We have a really crazy cool Discord community and I was – 
I kind of just like keep my eye on it. I don't, I let them all chat. And I was saying to Tiggy this weekend, it's just incredible how much they all talk to each other. Yeah. And well, our community is also predominantly female. So I think the American female fan is just desperate for a place and people to talk to about F1. Mm. And it's been so fun. And I feel like we're so privileged to be able to be that place. But like, they just want to, they sometimes they only have like their husband or their boyfriend to talk about it. And like none of their girlfriends want to talk about it. Yeah. So like they have, they just need to find a place, a place to be themselves when it comes to showing up as a full F1 fan, whatever that looks like for them. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely echo that. And I would also say what we've learned, at least from like our community and discord is, Kind of what we were saying before about how many different angles there are in this into getting yeah. into the sport like we have so many different channels in our discord everything from like making recipes you know related to whatever <laughs> race location yeah we're at that weekend or people are into like the f1 gaming world and like all of these different angles that i feel like i wouldn't have had exposure to if we weren't kind of being a part of that community and, and being in there with all these lovely women and, you know, not just women, but kind of everyone in our community. Um, so I think that has been super fun. And I will also say like, I I'm in the discord every day, like looking at what they're saying and discord mom, (laughs) I'm the discord mom. Um, I often will like see news or see even like memes or whatever before I like see it on our Instagram. Like our fans are so on on top of it. Like I will often find stories like breaking in our discord before I like see it anywhere else. It's unbelievable. It's so cool. They're super smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. That's I find that fascinating because again, it, it shows you how, how much it is a kind of round the clock kind of content creation, but then also, um, kind of engagement at that point as well. You go literally at every minute of every day, someone is looking for news. They're looking to see what's going on. Has there been any changes since last weekend? Yeah. Has that thing that I thought was going to happen happened yet? (laughs) (laughs) And just the ability to bring that also into your like day-to-day in-person life too. Like we all love the internet (laughs) and hate it at the same time for lots of different reasons. (laughs) But I'll never forget the moment where I saw in our Discord the, it was like two or three women meeting up to go watch a race together and they met through our How discord. Good. And now some of them are even planning to go to a race together, like flying and meeting yeah. each other. Yeah. That's so great. It's so cool. One of my favorite channels on our discord is the Lakeside Drive Cats and Dogs. Yes. So we have everybody we have like, <laughs> we need one of those. I think it started by potentially me actually, or somebody we we're just talking about, you know, I don't know. So they put posted a photo in the kind of general chat or whatever with their watching the the race with their cat or something, and that sparked a whole cats and dogs um, channel. And it's been <laughs> excellent. We get the really bored cats Aww. when nothing when is Max happening. Is Twenty thousand yeah. seconds ahead, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we get the ones who have obviously like given up. There's others who are displeased with the result. There are others that are just constantly excited. Oh, it's great. We need it's dog so and cat merch. Totally. I also, I can't wait to join your, your discord. That sounds like a fun time. It's it's pretty entertaining, but it is, like you said, it's also really awesome. I think you forget with this stuff. I'm not, because you mentioned that obviously like you're just talking about it or messaging about it. And then you decide to kind of turn that into something by hitting record. And you forget that by doing that for yourselves, you're also doing it for other people and creating that community. And you forget about that. It's when, so crazy yeah. that you 
because it, I'm sure it has for you too. It feels like such a personal thing that you do. It's the conversations that you have with your friends or people like we've just met, but like it feels like we're just having a very intimate moment. But people are always like you, when you hear from them, oh, I listen to it on my walk to work or it like makes my drive home so much better, things like that, where you're just like sprinkling F1 fairy dust into the world and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's especially funny for us because we record we all have full-time jobs we record at 7 a.m usually monday mornings or 7 a.m sunday of the week so in you know remotely in our apartments we wake up we put like coffee or tea on (laughs) and we like roll out of bed and we record in our little rooms and then you know people from all over are listening to that it's just a very cool thing to experience and it it, like tressa said it does feel really intimate but i like the sprinkling fairy dust analogy (laughs) i I like that as well righto everyone hang on gotta pay the bills randy It's really interesting you mentioned as well, um, I suppose, there now being space for more voices and different voices in F1, um, which very much lends itself to the conversation around content creators um, and their role within kind of F1 and the future of F1. And it's something that I think is really awesome about how much it has now opened up as a sport is that it has created space for those voices to kind of come in and they are far more diverse than they have been previously. And obviously the nature of the spectators is now more diverse as well. Uh So it's really important that those voices are reflected. When you think about your contribution to that kind of what I would call a a new new commentary around the sport, is it something you would have always felt welcomed to do? Is it something that you just feel like now there is this door open and how fast do you want to run through it? Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on, I suppose, the, the change in the voice of commentary and kind of talking about Formula One? Yeah, I think that's a great question and I'm definitely curious on your thoughts because Chessa and I have both worked in very male-dominated industries. Right, okay. <laughs> and so I think our attitude has been kind of don't ask for permission or don't apologize for like hopefully kind of making or creating space for people who have typically been more underrepresented in, in the sport or in the space or whatever it is. And so I think that has kind of been our attitude, but I think we're super excited about that idea. And hopefully, you know, we've been inspired by other females in the sport to do it. And hopefully what we're doing is inspiring more, you know, creators of all types to come in. And I think it's just so important, like you said, for fans who are super diverse and coming from all different backgrounds to feel like they have either an on-ramp or just a place in the sport that is accessible and like, you know, something that they're really excited to tune into and it's not the same kind of vibe or demographic of voices that they're so used to hearing. Like that's why we were so inspired to start it is like, we just don't feel like this exists and it did to a certain degree and it does even more now, but I think it's been, it's been more of like, don't don't really ask yeah. for permission. Yeah. Just do it and be confident about it and don't apologize for taking up space. I think yep. as women, we tend to often apologize for speaking up or speaking out or doing things that, you know, traditionally have been harder. And I don't think we should be afraid to, like, take that space. Do you know what I think is really interesting? And I think it's, it, it's part of the diversity because like, it's such a – broad-reaching word, right? We can talk about gender, we can talk about um, nationality, all sorts of things. But part of the diversity of the new voices are 
the new voices, you know, people who have only been watching the sport for five years maybe mm. as opposed to 20. And what I have loved about it is that those new voices are asking new questions. They're that going, so true. Why is it like this? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and it's, it's good, like, you know, everything takes time to see change. But I love when people are asking these questions because F1 historically has been a boys club. And when you have all the boys in a club with no one else in the club, they all ask the same questions. Yeah. They don't see the problems, <laughs> yeah. whatever they might be. And what's been so cool is like content creation. It's, it's, that's what it is. It's creation, right? It wasn't there before. You're creating it. So all of these new fans, different fans, whatever you want to call them, are creating all these little different on-ramps for all these different people to come into the sport. And I think it's so cool because, I mean, luckily, I mean, we just like grabbed it by the reins and did it. But I can imagine a lot of people who want to get into F1 are like, oh my God, how do I dip my toe in? Especially yeah, three years ago when yeah. there was nothing. To be like, oh, well, this is just going to keep being the boys club because I can't relate to any of these five mm. commentators who all look the same. Yep. But now I can learn about the sport in a different way. And then when those commentators do speak, I know what's going on. And I know that in five, ten years time, all these people that I'm listening to on TikTok and Instagram are going to make their way, hopefully, into the funnel and actually be somewhat the face of, of, of F1. Mm. What do you reckon, Tiki? I totally agree. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. Yeah, I can tell. You're like buzzing. You're like, and then this will happen. And then that will happen. I love it. It is. I mean, we talk about content creation and getting more female and diverse fans into the sport, but it's also about, you know, as fans, but it's also about getting them in the pipeline of actually working in the sport and being mm. behind the scenes and shedding light on more diverse people in the paddock, at the factories, all over the place. And that's a lot of what we've tried to do is, you know, bring those voices to the sport by doing interviews, kind of doing a lot of research on who is behind the scenes and shedding light on that in a way that maybe hasn't traditionally been done as much. And I think a lot more people are starting to do that. More women, more diverse, you know, backgrounds are getting the spotlight, which yep. I think is super important. And it all hopefully benefits. I mean, there's a long way to go. We're definitely yeah. not at the yeah. point we need to be at, but this is kind of how it starts. I think I think the sad thing is, as you said, you go, there is a long way to go and you can suddenly have that hit you in the face very, yeah. very quickly with a single comment or whatever it might be. And we see that all too frequently, unfortunately, and everyone keeps reminding me on the podcast to stop reading the comments, but I can't help it. <laughs> partially, partially because I'm interested to see how people are reacting to stuff. Yeah. So if you have a team that is highlighting, um, let's say, a female engineer who works in their wind tunnel or whatever it might be, I'm interested to see how people react to that spotlight and you do have a lot of people going this is awesome I love it thanks so much for helping to you know show that there's women out there who are in engineering and are senior and are very successful in this type of thing but you have unfortunately still some and I won't repeat them because I don't want to give them the light of day but it's you you just reminded it's that demoralizing. we need to work yeah it's totally demoralizing and, and unfortunately that we were talking about the things we love and we hate about the internet it's also a very dark place where a lot of people feel like they can kind of just throw out missiles into the ether and not really care there's no about consequences no like, there's not you can hide behind <laughs> a screen anyway. yeah and we see that not just in f1 but you know all over the internet and in all aspects of of life and i think it's unfortunate but at some point you know you just have to kind of to a degree, tune it out and keep yeah. going. And, you know, eventually they'll like get tired of just throwing those things out into the ether yeah. if you don't respond to it and yeah. get the reaction. They're they're hoping for a reaction, you know? Yeah. 
So you guys are contributing a fresh new voice to Formula One as a newer um, contribution to podcast space in particular, but other content as well. Chessa, what would you hope that people who listen to your con- your podcast or engage in your pod, like any of your content that you, you that you create, what is it that you would hope that they take away from it? We're talking about kind of diverse listeners or people who might want to work in Formula One themselves one day or just love listening to different perspectives. What is it that you would hope that people who engage with your content take away from it or how they feel about it? I want them to have the most happy, fun feeling and of of excitement. Like I think when we do this, I get like bubbly inside. It's such a great feeling, (laughs) mostly because I'm excited about the sport, but also because there's just so much promise with whatever's going on. And I think Mm. people who engage with our content, I think our community is very, very engaged, very, very dedicated. They're awesome because I think we are relatable, accessible, but mostly just fun. Yeah. Not to not to not be humble, but <laughs> <laughs> but just quietly we're ticking all of the boxes. <laughs> to but you like, as reckon. a content creator, you're never gonna be doing everything perfectly, but no. you have to have I think it's so cool that you phrase the question that way because you do what you do to make people feel a certain way. And if you can keep thinking about it that mm. way, um, it's a cool way to like have a perspective. Yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think I totally agree with that. It's a lot about fun, but it's also about having a safe space, community, being able to relate to other people who have similar interests to them and kind of just be a platform to find common interests and find other people who are into those. And I know we were chatting a little bit before we started recording about, you know, maybe we don't love the word educational, but I do (laughs) hope that when people are listening, they're learning, you know, because when we're preparing for our episodes... I'm learning a ton. I imagine it's the same for Chessa and Sarah. Mm. Like we do a lot of research and we hope that when we talk about these topics, we do a lot of kind of educational special topics, everything from like driver rules and etiquette to the logistics behind Formula One. And we just started these sort of mini-sode series on sustainability in motorsport and then also women in motorsport. And so just hoping to also kind of educate and provide different angles from which to be interested in the sport in and learn a lot more and yeah. take something away from it. Yeah. So I think I'm going to add too. it's so fun when people learn from us and then go like educate their boyfriends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten that a lot in our discord being like, I love going to like my husband or my boyfriend or whoever, or my friend and just like imparting knowledge and they'll be like, Oh, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, I just, I, it does, drop. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if it does, it shows that people, consume the sport in different ways you know there's people who are looking at it from a technological perspective there are people who are looking at it from a competitive sport perspective there are people who are looking at it for the drama and the personalities and they love all the characters involved because it is a sport that does very much act as a magnet for some of the most extreme people out there Mm -hmm. because of what they are doing which is just nature I think (laughs) um nature and money basically um together (laughs) um but it shows that people do digest it and kind of consume it and look for it look for different things in it as well which means they're going to have different views on why things work a certain way or not and that type of thing just quickly on sustainability, because um, and you've mentioned that you kind yeah. of work in that area as well, and you're very passionate about it. Does what F1 is doing with sustainability, and also their partners as well, obviously mm-hmm. DHL and Shell and all of their like fuel suppliers and everything else, yeah. does that excite you about 
the future in this space? The <laughs> smile oh, on your it. face tells me yes, and I'm Just hoping that it's like, yes <laughs> because I think yeah. How does that absolutely? Yeah. I don't want to paint myself as a naive optimist and be like, Formula One is going to solve all the sustainability problems of the world. But I do think it is a huge platform. And I do think that they really are at the forefront in sport of thinking about sustainability and how to do things in a cleaner, more beneficial way. Everything from the 2026 regulation rehaul, which is fully around, you know, clean tech and carbon neutral and the goal that they, that, the FIA and F1 have set to be carbon neutral by 2030, like even beats the UN target for sports. You know, it's like they really are pushing the envelope on it. And I feel like I've waxed poetic about this a million times, but (laughs) Formula One sort of is in my mind, an R and D lab for a lot of the technology that gets used in road cars and the automotive sector and other industries more broadly. So if they're really able to show that, you can do a lot of this even at the like sexiest, highest levels of motorsport in a clean way. I think that really has huge ripple effects for a lot down the line. Now, it has to be proven. There's a lot of debates around greenwashing and carbon offsets and all of that. But Yeah, the greenwashing is an interesting one. Yeah. I think it's something to keep a bit of an eye on. But like you said, that's where the research comes from. Actually, we totally. have to look into this and say, okay, I see your headline. <laughs> so I see your headline. Yes. I'm going to have a bit of a look to see what the fine print says actually yeah. um, and what's going on here. And that's the beautiful thing, I think, especially about this generation of fans and younger generations in general is that people really are holding organizations, sports, people accountable for what they say. Like greenwashing, mm. I hope and I think, is not going to fly, you know, and these landmark cases with Delta and like FIFA even, I think are hopefully setting a precedent that F that F1 and the FIA will learn from. Yeah. Chess, there anything to add? No, you one? get it girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I'm very, I have lots of thoughts on this. Oh, I love it though. No, but it's, I think it's, it's, it's a part of the sport that some people don't love talking about it because they desperately just want to hold on to the noise that they grew up with. And I mean that literally. And that's fine. I understand that. It is a visceral reaction when you hear certain engines. And so cool. Exactly. Like, and we can, it's okay to feel that and to be nostalgic about it. And, you know, we'll never forget the the time we interviewed Richard Saxby for the first time. He's been on the podcast a few times. And my darling co host, Thomas J. Camp looking at my computer is always there it's not um <laughs> said oh when did you start and he said 2014 he goes oh so you ruined formula one then oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay that's how we make our guests feel welcome but and so you, but you can understand that there is a nostalgia there oh, and 100%. as you said it's and like a spectator it is like when we first heard an f1 car like your body vibrates in a way that you've never felt before it's yeah. so cool yeah but the other thing about it is like the actual cars in those emissions make up 1% of Formula One's emissions. Mm. Like it's not even necessarily just about the engines or the sound of the engines. It's the logistics. It's the transportation. It's yeah. the business travel. Like all of that is so important, yeah. arguably more important yeah. besides obviously the trickle down effects into other industries. But yeah, that's the piece I feel like that gets missing from that yeah. debate sometimes. It's like, oh, but the engines. It's like, well, there's 99% of other emissions that need to be tackled in a clean way. So, like, let's not get hung up on this one thing yeah. and this one thing only. And, look, there's some really clever people out there 
Maybe one day they'll be able to make a car that is both like sustainable and sounds great as well. Exactly. Well, that's the whole thing about drop-in sustainable fuel. You can use that in an ICE, (laughs) internal combustion engine car. It doesn't have to be electric. It does not have to be silent. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll get off my little. No, don't, don't. I love it. Well, I, we do want to hear a little bit about your involvement with Extreme E. I know you are the host of the official podcast. How did you yeah. get involved with that? We're starting to get big into that as yeah. well. So. Oh, it's such a fun sport. So so James Baldwin, who I host with, and then Michael Lemonado, who's a motorsport journalist in Australia, the three of us host um, Extreme E Off Track. And what has been really interesting about that is that I got into it. I'm like, okay, I, I don't know how much I'm going to love this yet. I love sport. I'll watch anything with the exception <laughs> of maybe curling because I just don't understand <laughs> I how watch it curling. works. Justice for curling. Oh, <laughs> uh, exactly. I mean, someone someone just needs to – here's the thing, and maybe I should listen to a podcast. Someone just needs to educate me about it because I find it – I do find it difficult to watch a sport when I don't understand yeah, so what is going on. And that is just – I just can't wrap my head around what the purpose is or how it works, which is – Nothing to, like, it's not the fault of the sport. It is, it is my own. However, I digress. Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it, uh-huh. partially because I think I can just be a bit of a cynic at times. And I was like, oh, there has to be a male, there has to be a female. It's got to be this, it's got to be that. And then I just wasn't sure about how, how do I use the word legitimate? It was going to be in terms of really focusing on those pillars of uh-huh. sustainability and climate awareness and gender equality. Um, but now that I've been quite involved in it, I was like, oh, my gosh, bloody hell, I love this sport. I love the people involved in it. They yeah. are the most genuine, just auth- like, okay, it's the same word twice, this authentic. <laughs> they're, so, they're such real people. They love what they do. They're passionate about it. They are hardcore competitors like yeah if you've ever seen yeah. I like I interviewed her last week but Leia Sands her wow. race face oh my goodness if I saw her <laughs> face in like my revision mirror coming up behind me You're I terrified. would be scared she is just an app the most competitive beast and also the most kind-hearted lovely genuine person ever and I love that about people in Extreme E is that I just think again it attracts a certain personality type and they're just wonderful people. So I love that about it. It's good racing. Yeah. Like it's good sport and that's important. I think it's when a sport has other goals like their pillars around climate change and um, quality, I that can come sometimes I think with less of a focus yeah, on the actual racing and the sport itself. But the racing is good. Now some yeah. tracks have been better than others um, I think we're excited to go back to Sardinia. Yeah. Scotland was a learning lesson, to be honest. Yeah. It wasn't. I, it just, when no one can see anything, I don't think that the makes people the mud. <laughs> well, the dust became the mud. Yeah. And yeah. So I think they're still learning. And it's been interesting learning a sport while it's still learning about itself. Totally. To be honest, because you've got to give it some space and you can't be too critical. But at the same time, you do have some really top, brains and organizations in it that you go you need to you do need to progress this pretty quickly in order to get people to buy into it because if it doesn't feel um if it doesn't have the credibility of a really good racing series you're not going to get the support yeah I think that's such a good point you need to have both 
And I love, so we actually have a big episode on Extreme E coming out in July, and we've talked to a handful of people in the sport, a driver, and a couple people more on the business side. We won't spoil anything <laughs> yet, but... You heard it here first. Yeah, Touch up in July. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's so interesting and I think amazing the lessons that some of the executive team kind of took from Formula E and did yep. to build up Extreme E really from the ground as a focus on sustainability, as a focus on diversity. And one thing that they really mentioned and, and hit on, and I think Chessa probably has a lot of thoughts on this from the women's and diversity angle, is it's a relatively equal playing field for both men and women mm -hmm. in a way that Formula E was not. Um, okay. The differential between lap times for male and females in Extreme E is vastly shrunk between... 26%. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing. So I think, I mean, you probably know a lot more about this, but I think <laughs> really thinking about it from the ground up is a really great way to do that. And if they can couple that with incredible racing caliber, I think it really has... The recipe for success. And another thing that the, from the business executive side, they were so excited about all the lessons that they were learning from their key pillars and how they can take it and then apply it to Formula One. And like, yeah. they're really excited for people at Formula One to pick their heads up and be like, wait, they're doing it over there. And it's like really epic. Let's see what we can implement for ourselves. So it is kind of like a learning agenda that's circulating across all of these different offshoots and I think it's really cool to see. Yeah. I think the other thing which is cool about it, and again, now that it's been in place for a number of years, um, we're starting to see some of that data come back. And so, as you mentioned, the gap between the male and female lap times has dropped dramatically. Yeah. And you also see each race weekend as well. At the start, at the very start, season one, there was a lot of strategy around we'll put the guys against the guys and the girls against the girls. That doesn't happen anymore. I mean, yeah. there's probably still occasions That's when it does, but that does not happen anywhere near as much as it used to because – the girls are incredible and I always I bang on about this moment from last season I think it was yeah it must have been last season just because but it was so telling um which was during the commentary and they were talking and talking and talking about um Johan Christofferson mm -hmm. it wasn't him it was Michaela Allen Kotlinski who was driving wow. now that only happened for a minute but they're like they're going on and they're like oh wait a second this is Michaela and then they said well, no wonder she's driving like a bloody world champion. Yes. I was like, yes, because she's that's a machine, beautiful. you know. That's awesome. So there's moments like that which I think are, you know, that's experiential learning right there that's going, I've just, you know, I can now attest from what I'm watching live that this is great racing, it's this and the other. And, um, and the other thing is from a sports psychology perspective, a lot of the women – are lining up against, and it goes for some of the younger male drivers as well, but especially with like Fraser McConnell, for example, but they are dry, they're lining up against guys who are 20 years their senior, mm -hmm. who are Dakar, Rallycross, you know, yeah. world champion, multiple time world champions. And that is not something to <laughs> you don't brush that, yeah. over and they just go and they will acknowledge that they go it's intimidating but the, what an opportunity for me to show what I have got and also to learn as well because they will say you know there's a huge learning opportunity there where you're racing alongside those types of people but also I'm not going to let that get to me and that in and of itself as an accomplishment and to then also be closing the gap in terms of their performance and competitiveness 
is incredible. And so so you can probably see now I'm, I'm like getting all excited <laughs> and everything else. But I think it's, it's a really great example of someone who's gone and done the thing and they've created the series. They've got very clear guidelines in terms of what the values are of the organisation and what yeah. they want to shed light on and they're just doing the thing. Yes. <laughs> Do the damn thing. Do the thing. <laughs> so something I wanted to ask you is a bit of a hot take, something I think yes. you're familiar with. <laughs> So we've never all, been asked our oh, hot take segment we're always we on the ask tables have turned <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so first of all I have to ask if any of you well either of you have been to Australia I was a flower girl at a wedding in Australia when I was a little child oh okay all right I flew through the Sydney airport on the way to New Zealand I'm sorry oh okay I see we weren't your final destination oh my gosh that's terrible um okay well I won't hold your lack of experience in the continent uh, <laughs> against you, but you might have difficulty with a couple of these. First of all, Vegemite, yes or no? No. No, I'm sorry. I just, I'm sorry. a no too, let's okay. be clear. No, no, <laughs> this is something we need to clarify. Just because you don't like Vegemite does not make you un-Australian. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hear about that in our Discord, I'm sure. Um, kangaroos or koalas? Koalas? Kangaroos. Oh, why? So when I was in Australia, my sister, my twin sister, there was a kangaroo mommy with her baby, which you like don't go near because... They're maternal. And she yeah. like picked up the tail and started shaking it. And then we almost got attacked. So koalas. <laughs> They're very cute and cuddly. And I'm sure I will get crucified for this <laughs> reference. But I watched, I think, Kangaroo Jack. Like <laughs> three different birthdays in a row. It was like my birthday movie. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what a guilty I know. I was, I was like nine years old. But I, I love that movie. Nothing so. to feel guilty about there. I don't know what you're talking about. Melbourne or Sydney? Sydney. Melbourne because I'm from San Francisco and I feel like it gets compared Ooh, yeah. to Very San much Francisco so. whereas LA and Sydney get kind of compared. Yeah. Yeah. Melbourne has the looks, Sydney, sorry, I've got that completely wrong. Sydney has the looks, Melbourne yeah. has the personality. Ooh. So Tiki's clearly the, a much uh, deeper person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm dying to go to Sydney, don't get me wrong. It looks stunning. <laughs> Scariest Australian animal? Any like snake that's going to kill you. So most of them then? Yeah, most of them. <laughs> Probably the kangaroo, which is why I like it. <laughs> it's going to punch you in the face. It's very true. <laughs> they will fight you. You've sure yeah. you've seen the videos. <laughs> Rugby or footy? Footy. Footy. Correct answer. Yeah. Uh, and everyone from Queensland will hate me for saying that, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, all right. You guys have a very exciting trip coming up. Do you want to tell us a bit about it? We're going to Austria. Yes, um, our first European Grand Prix. Yeah. And it's going to be the three of us. It hasn't been the three of us at a race in a while. Um, Sarah was at Miami, Tig and I went to Mexico, and we all were in Austin together. So it'll be fun for us all to be together again, and we can't wait. Yeah, we're thrilled. We have lots of good content coming. We're just so excited to be on the ground and experience it, and... We know there was some interesting fan-related things yeah. with females last year at Austria, so we're hoping that a lot of that is improved and we'll And if see. it's not, we will be reporting on it for exactly. sure. <laughs> Please do. And the Grid Click Girls will have a lot to say about yes. that as yes. well. They're making a lot of effort in that space, which is great. Obviously, you've been to a few races, which is awesome and already puts us, everyone in here, in kind of a very small percent of yeah. fans who will be able to attend races. Um what is, what's your favourite thing about being there in person? Seeing how much other people love being there. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I really feel like it's seeing fans in the flesh because 
for us, and maybe it's a little different for Chessa, who kind of grew up watching and has family who's into it, like, really, Chessa and Sarah are my main friends and only really my only friends who are super into the sport. So actually being a part of a community and being there on the ground with people who are there because they love it so much, it just makes it feel, for me, like a little less lonely and isolating. And yeah. I just love that aspect of it. It's yeah. so cool. That's fantastic. And finally... <laughs> The championship, not this year, next year. Oh, my God. Next year, talking 2024, is Mercedes going to make a comeback? Tiggy, I know what you're going to (laughs) say. Or is Red Bull going to hold their domination? Or is Aston Martin going to make big jumps? Or option number four, which you're open to... (laughs) Ferrari, don't you? Yeah, Ferrari, I think we can take off the table, unfortunately. (laughs) Mercedes, I like. I can't believe I'm saying this, but they. I really want Russell to win the championship. World championship won't happen. I know. Well, you never know. He's definitely. I feel like proven himself as a championship contender. Now, I have a hopeful answer, and I have a probably more realistic answer. My hopeful answer is yes, that Mercedes will absolutely bring Red Bull a fight next year in a way that we have not seen the past couple of years. Mm. I think they will definitely, they definitely are on the back foot. Like they're just coming into upgrades in a car package that's going to start to work for them this year. Whereas Red Bull, I think is probably already focused on a 2024 car. They figured out these regulations, like they have Adrian Newey, (laughs) all of that is really, you know, they have Max as much as I'm, you know, (laughs) I hate to say it. Like, he's amazing. So I do, if I had to put money on it, I think Red Bull is going to take the championship next year. Um, And who will be driving for Red Bull next year? (laughs) That's a great question. (laughs) The news never stops. We're going to keep our eye on Uh, it. It's a diplomatic answer. Very well said. Um, But... We can leave it at that if you'd like to. <laughs> I, I'm i going to say Checo. I'm going to say he gets another year in the seat. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be my hope too as a as a Mexican <gasps> woman who loves Checo. Yeah, but um, the news never stops. We'll keep an eye on it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, we don't need to go into like all these other drivers and whether or not they'd be good at it. But I just don't see another driver who is like second driver material and not Mm. gunning to be a number one driver fit for that seat in a way that Checo has been maybe not in the past few races but I don't know controversial we'll keep an eye on it (laughs) the news is revolving and we will keep an eye on it what a note to wrap up on I think thank you so much for joining us on Lakeside Drive it's been so great to have and thank you for having me in New York yes (laughs) so glad you could be here Podcast Network.